Well, this, the scoreboard said I lost today, but what the scoreboard doesn't say is what it is I have found. Welcome back to the Tennis Connected Studios for August 27th, 2023. I'm Nima Naderi alongside Parsa Sami, and we're here this week to preview the U.S. Open. Before we begin this week's show, let's introduce our co-host, Parsa. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. It's our favorite time of the year, Nima, right? The U.S. Open in New York, the, the chaos, the madness, um, the plot lines that we inevitably see in the two weeks in New York. Uh, if if anyone's even been following the qualifying already, has been very exciting. And kudos to the USTA and to ESPN, uh, at least stateside, for showcasing every court. Uh, I've been able to watch from home, which has been incredible. Um, and I look forward to see how this main draw plays out. Yeah, I know ESPN Plus has been doing a great job. We get that here as well, too. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. And like you said, like, you know, Wimbledon has got the heritage and the French got the, you know, the French feel and Aussies, you know, they're nice and they have a cool tournament down there. But for me, I mean, the U.S. Open is just you can't beat it. Like with New York, it's just a whole ball of wax. The whole package is, is unstoppable, in my opinion. And that's from following the sport now for over 30 years. So and I've seen a lot of tennis and, you know, night matches and, and everything that the, the you know, the the crowd and environment at nyc brings us open is just it's phenomenal and can't wait for it to get fired up tomorrow 11 a.m eastern standard time so barca with that being said let's jump right into what we're going to discuss today um you know obviously one of the most compelling you know storylines is in two weeks time are we going to be seeing an alcaraz Djokovic final we just had an incredible final in cincinnati where these two guys battled to the bone uh, with Djokovic winning 7-6 in the third set, almost four hours. We had that very dramatic Wimbledon final where Alcaraz won in, you know, probably around four hours as well, too, in five sets. Then we had that, you know, four set, you know, dramatic match in the French where, where you know, Alcaraz won the second set, then cramped, and then he was out. And then last year they played that really cool match in Madrid where Alcaraz won in three sets. So the good news is, if they play, you know it's going to be a four or five hour match just because of the way that they play, where they are in their careers. Alcrez is amazing. Djokovic is the GOAT. And it's just, you know what I mean? It's going to be amazing. Can they get there is the question. Obviously, it looks like this is going to happen based on the field. Nadal's not there. Federer is done. I don't know if the other guys are willing to step up. Medvedev has been very shaky. I think he's got some personal stuff going on. I can't confirm that, but it's just feeling. Sinner won Toronto, lost first round since he. Is he ready and physically prepared for, you know, five sets? Again, I'm not sold. TFO, is he ready? I'm going to get, you know, your thoughts on him. And the rest of the American contingent, obviously led by Fritz and Tommy Paul. 
Then on the women's side, we have Coco Goff, who's been in scintillating form, won two events this summer. Sviantek, who's obviously very dangerous, and she's been a bit quiet lately. Then we have Sabalenka, who's ready to play really well on the hard courts again after winning the Australian Open earlier this year. So that's pretty much what we got on deck. So let's start right at the top. You know, Alcaraz, Djokovic, what are your brief thoughts on that? And we'll get into the, the men's draw preview later in the show. But what, what do you think about that to start off here? I mean, just an, an incredible uh, new rivalry that's budding. And, you know, you've got the old guard and, and the new guard. And you've got electric excitement. And someone who, in Alcaraz, who's learning in every matchup that he plays against Djokovic, literally, it's he's being taken to school while winning sometimes. And that happens as a function of what Djokovic really makes you do and what where he makes you reach in terms of your stamina, strategy, level of play, you know, and most importantly, your level of play in the most crucial moments, um, which Alcaraz has been able to step up. And they go back and forth and tactically, you know, watching that matchup in Cincinnati... You know they just they just keep changing tactics and keep going left and right and and um, in that third set where it just was really an epic clash of of two titans going at it and you know you you see the the chess being played right on you know and then you also see the hail marys that Alcaraz will sometimes throw. I think Djokovic is a little bit more calculated. You kind of can read what he's going to do. Um, you know, but and, and Alcaraz is, needs to play a little bit more like that and not give those loose points away as much. But it's this special, you know, contrast in the way they play. Um, so I think it's a, it's should be as as Djokovic alluded to in the in the post match uh, speech. You know, maybe we'll see each other in New York. Uh, I think that would be the the an incredible culmination to the Grand Slam season of twenty twenty three if it happens. For sure. And I think, Parsa, what, what I see in this rivalry is you got two guys, 120, number one, 136, number two. One guy who's got 23 slams, one guy who has two. But they can do everything. They can both hit big forehands. They can both hit big backhands. They both move incredibly well. They both can volley. They both have great touch. They're both super fit. Um, I mean, Djokovic, to me, has got a better serve. Even though Alcaraz can hit it harder, Djokovic has more pinpoint accuracy, especially at this point in their career. So that's, for me, if, if Alcaraz can get to like the Djokovic Federer level of placing a serve and disguising it, I mean, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a runway show. Like he's, nobody's gonna be there. Um, but for now, he's still not there in my opinion from the serve category. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that later on. But that's why I think this is such a good rivalry. Like you look at this, and, you know, Federer had the one-handed backhand and he was great, but he was older than Djokovic and Nadal. So he kind of faded away a little bit earlier. But then Nadal and Djokovic are only about a year apart. So you're going, they're going out there and playing finals, everything, and battling each other. And now you have this guy, Djokovic, and the guy's 36, but he looks like he's 26. He feels like he's 26. And he's playing a guy who is 20. And, you know, even Medvedev, I don't know if you saw Parsa, but he was like, you know, Djokovic is going to play till he's 40, 45. That's what, you know, he was telling Medvedev. Like, this guy is an animal. Like, he's he's taken such incredible, you know, like, possession of his body. And he's in such great shape from his fitness, from his diet, to his meditation, to his flexibility, 
that he deserves it. You know, I I was never like the biggest Djokovic fan. And I was like, and not that I was a big Federer and Nadal fan, right? But, you know, you look at this guy now and you just got to admire what he's doing. I mean, the guy is 36 years old and some change and he's out there playing Alcraz. It's 110 Fahrenheit out there in Cincinnati. It's brutal conditions, middle of the day. And he's playing this guy for four hours and beating him. And Alcraz is is there, man. The guy's 20, like this guy's going to be another all-time great. And, he's, and he won. So it's you got to sit there and just take your hat off and go, listen, this guy's won for the books. And as great as Nadal is and as great as Federer is, this guy is going to end his career better. And that's not to take away anything and saying those guys have done nothing because, you know, Nadal might come back next year and surprise us. Federer has obviously hung it up. But to me, I mean, Djokovic, statistically, I don't think anybody's going to be able to really, you know, challenge what he's done unless Alcraz gets there in 15, 20 years. But for now, you know, in the, in the next couple of years, you got to say that it's going to be Novak. So, you know, with that being said, Parsa, I just wanted to ask you a quick question and people are going to say, where's Nima going with this? But, you know, what's a good bakery, bakery store, bakery shop in the Long Island area? Uh, we got the butter cookery um, <laughs> over in, in Manhasset, New York. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's the best, but I know where you're going with this, Nima. Go for it. <laughs> so it's the butter, it's the butter cookery? Yep. Okay, because that's what Djokovic's draw is for the U.S. Open. There you he's go. Got the cupcake of the cupcake draw. And we'll get into that later in the show. But, you know, we talk about the finals here, you know, in a couple weeks on Sunday. And I would be shocked if Djokovic doesn't get there because that's exactly what his draw is. But, I mean, obviously in the top half, we've talked about Alcaraz and Djokovic. Well, we got a guy like Sinner who's made, you know, one Toronto first first Masters 1000. Again, he benefited from a lot of things happening in Toronto, but he got it he got it done. What was kind of disappointing for me was that he subsequently went to Cincy and then he and he flamed out there. I know you had some words on that and you weren't very concerned and you think that he's on the come up and you you were praising Darren Cahill and 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 I love Darren Cahill. I think he's an incredible coach and guy and such a great insight into the game. I love watching him commentate and listening to him. So we'll see how that, you know, what what he has to offer. Um, so what are your overall thoughts on, on Sinner? What do, you, what do you think he has to bring to the table? Is he ready for a deep run in, in NYC? I personally think he's very ready. Um, okay. I, I saw a, a, a noticeable improvement um, in one particular aspect that is that is the, the handprint of Darren Cahill, which I saw with Agassi, I saw with Halep, um, and... That is, is that in these crucial, crucial moments, he's got Sinner playing a little bit more margin, ripping the ball, and waiting till he gets the exact shot that he wants in order to pull a trigger. And it's just a tough out. Every time it's a big point now, Sinner's going 30 ball rallies immediately, and it's putting a ton of pressure on his opponents. And what it's going to come down to. Because he's going to, you'll see, uh, I'm very confident in him. He's going to mow down people um, until he gets to the big names and the big guys, you know. And, um, you know, looking at his draws, you know, could be Zverev in there and Alcaraz, you know, Zverev in the quarter, Alcaraz in, in um, I'm sorry, uh, Zverev in the fourth round and Alcaraz in the quarterfinal. Yeah, that's brutal, man. That's a brutal draw. I, I just think that it's going to be, something that's lining up um you know for you know something special 
And I think he could potentially upend uh, those type of guys because of what he's doing a little bit differently. And I want to go back real quick, too. And one thing I've noticed about Djokovic, believe it or not, is uh, there's a little less pace on his backhand, Nima. And uh, he's pinpoint. He can move the ball around the court. I'm finding his, his backhand to be a little bit neutral, um, a little muted. And... I'd watch. I that, yeah. I'd watch out for that. Um, if anyone else, if someone can get there with a big enough forehand and pin him to that side, it could start to open up some things. Um, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's you know increased muscle or you know he's definitely a very fit in the brain and very fit physically. Um, you know, but something to note. You know, maybe he's a step slower, whatever it may be. Um, but if Djokovic goes down, it'll be because of that. All right, and back to Sinner now. With Sinner, I just feel like he's got the the power and the heavy-duty shot-making in order to become a royal pain in the you-know-what. And can he beat Alcaraz or, or Zverev if they're at 100 percentile of their potential? Maybe not. Um, but if they're at like 97%, I think Sinner can get in there and, and beat these guys. So I think he'll need some luck, but he's going to be a royal pain in the you-know-what. Okay, moving on to the uh, women's draw for a second. We have Sabalenka, you know, going for her second major of the season. You know, again, I I like what she's doing lately because she's always there now. You, you, she's always part of the conversation for for every tournament, every major tournament. Uh, so I don't think there's going to be any reason why. You know, the U.S. Open for me is the fairest playing ground. Beautiful court to play on. Bounces are great, um, and she's just hitting the cover off of everything. So I think she's going to be extremely dangerous here then we have Sviantec who for me parts a bit you know after again everything is relative right like she she won the French she's got four majors she's defending champion here but she's been a bit quiet this summer so when we're grading these great players it's a different grade level than somebody who's 50 60 150 in the world Right. You can qualify for the US Open and that's a great result. But Sviantec, she's got to kind of win this tournament. That's a great result for her. So for me, I'm not sure if I'm seeing that here, uh, but it's not anything to worry about. I mean, she's going to probably win another slam next year and she's going to keep moving forward. Uh, But I think you're going to see and we'll talk about it a bit later. But like a Sabalenka, Coco Goff, who's, you know, really taken off this summer. Brad Gilbert's in her corner, really fixed that forehand because the acceleration on that at Wimbledon was terrible. And credit to Coco Goff for making a very quick change. Well, listen, mom and dad, thanks again, but you're gonna have to take a little bit of a backseat here because this is not getting, like, I can't be losing first round of a slam, right? So, you know, she brought him Brad Gilbert and he's made some adjustments and, you know, he's doing a great job there. He's a great X's and O's guy. Um, and then overall, just want to, you know, give me some thoughts on Sabalenka, on Spiontech, and then overall the American contingent, men's and women's, what you're seeing there, and then we can get into uh, breaking down the women's and men's draws. Yeah, um, that's a lot lot you want me to do here, but I, I'm going to go for it. Uh, I'll start with, yeah, I'll go with Spiontech. You know, I, last year I predicted she would win the U.S. Open, and I'm not feeling it this year. Um, and part of the reason is because she hasn't improved, if I if if I could say that. Um, 
you know, her game is so redlined on the hard court. Everything has to go right for her. And it hasn't been this summer so far. And she's getting some young hot shots that are able to hang in there with her and make her get a little bit deeper in the matches. And, you know, like I was talking about Sinner, um, she's getting people and opponents that are pushing her to, you know, where a point or two is making the difference in the match. And that's what you need to do. And I think everyone knows that. So I think the players that can't hang with her are just going to simply lose. Um, and I do feel like she'll make a deeper run, but I'm not sure she's got the, the quality right now in order to win. Um, so I think that's important. I think uh, Coco uh, making that change to Brad Gilbert, um, he is an X's and O's guy, Nima, I agree. Um, but he's a simple X's and O guy, and I think right. that's perfect for Coco. Um, you know, she, he, it's, it's keep it simple, rip the ball, um, go for it, make some some tactical changes, and and let's roll. You know, let's see how it goes. So I think that that is going to lend even more success for her. Is she ready to win the U.S. Open? She's going to need some serious crowd support. I think that there's going to be moments where she's going to be on the ropes and there's going to have to be a, an uplift in an energy. Um, and, you know, since we're talking about Coco, I want to go into my opinion on the American contingency, men and women. And I think yep. there's, it, it's, it centers around Francis, believe it or not. Um, and where I feel like Coco is a little different and, and where I'm going with this is, you know, Coco has been a kid who she's been working hard forever. You can kind of tell that maybe her mental and strategic capability isn't there but you, you, you know, she's not a, a a woman that you can fault her effort physically on a, on a tennis court you know I think she's been working her butt off forever um, and I think that she knows that gear and only that gear where I'm going with this is Francis you know Francis has made a awesome change in the last three years and kudos to him and his team um, for for bringing the work and and getting the patterns down and and all those kinds of things but you're kind of able to see, and this is with a lot of the Americans, I would say like 99% of them, believe it or not. Um, the, the, it's not years of effort. And this is what, what is going on in tennis right now. You have to be an animal from 10 years old to 25 years old in order, to, in order for your default mode to be animalistic, if that makes sense. Francis still has to sort of think about, all right, I got to do this. I got to do that. This is the right thing to do. I'm doing the right things, you know, but there's still a smidgen of doubt at the very, very end. And I think it still costs him matches. Um, and I think that's what happened this summer, you know, where there was a little bit more pressure. He knows he, he has to get hot and get a run going in order to, you know, Possibly, because he really does genuinely want to win the U.S. Open, and and I think he's doing everything in his power to do it. But I think it's not the last three years that's hurting him; it's the last ten to fifteen years that's that's hurting him. Um, and and sort of there's that that when like if you watched in Cincinnati, Alcaraz and Djokovic, those guys were toast, you know, in their brain. So they were just autopilot all the way, and their autopilot was you know, this incredible level of tennis. I don't think Francis's autopilot is at that level. Does that make sense, Nima? Yeah, that's the thing. You got to, you know, that's what Kobe Bryant would always talk about. Exactly. Right? Like training and, that he would put in would, he's done so much training and so much, like so much preparation that. 
it's automatic. In your head. It doesn't yeah. matter what anybody else does. Exactly. And, and that's already put I, the work. It's the muscle memory is there. The confidence is there. That's why you don't feel the same pressure because you've done the work. So your body knows what to do, even in the extremest of conditions, which obviously that Cincinnati final was. Then there's other moments where, you know, Alcaraz is still learning, but he's on a different level than TFO, right? It's, it's actually too bad because it's really, really, really about time that an American player goes really deep, especially on the men's side, because we've had Serena and stuff like that, right? That goes really deep at the US Open because it's just great for the tournament. Yeah. I mean, what else can I say, right? And I it's, think generally though, Nima, like Americans, you know, I think you've got like a different group, you know, watching some of the qualifying, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, unbelievable, hardworking women professional players that are tiny and energetic and they can't, literally, they can't hit the ball harder than 20 miles an hour, but they never miss. They play great tactics and they'll be great. You know, they'll, they'll win matches against ladies that miss, but the minute they get to someone of serious amount of quality, they're going to get blown off the court. You know, yeah. so it's like, you know, you got this like mix of, of, players american wise that pagula is like another one she's a phenomenal player i love watching her play because she takes the ball so early yeah is she gonna like can she go to the semi absolutely is she gonna win the tournament i you know i don't think so i you know it's like one of these things where um i think she's good enough to be in the in the end of every tournament but does she possess the firepower or that je ne sais quoi that autopilot that creativity that Alcaraz has or Djokovic shows or, you know, even Coco definitely has or Sviantec has or Sabalenka can rip the, you know, they've got this extra gear that I think Pagula is missing. You know, what is it going to be for her? You know, is, is she all of a sudden just going to whip out like a super crazy side spin drop shot thing, you know, that she's going to be the best in the world? At? That's what she needs. She needs some X factor thing that you're just not sure about. And I'm not sure what that is for her at this stage of her career. Um, can she win it? Absolutely, but it's going to be another one of those sinner. She's in that sinner mode. She's like a a one B uh, competitor, uh, which one is amazing, right? You're like in the top one two percent of the tournament, but you you sort of need things and chips to fall in your favor in order for you to hold the trophy at the end of the tournament. So I think that's where, um, in general, the men and women are from the United States. Um, I think you've got a lot of Upstart talent, Shelton's another one. You know, you yep. look at a kid like that. You know, he's he's just so much firepower, so so much bravado, so exciting for the crowd. And, you know, all these kinds of things. And you you hope that someone like that can put it together. But I hope he can put it together before he turns twenty six. You know, um, I hope it happens in the next year. Um, but it's certainly not going to happen at this tournament. Put it that way. Um, you know, so I think there's there's the future is is brighter than it's been. I think Tommy Paul, we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, we were texting. Um, I think he fights his his butt off. I think he's exciting to watch, but we all know it. He knows it. Everyone knows that that forehand is going to break down in crucial autopilot moments. You know, and I guess the the theme of this podcast is going to be autopilot. Um, because I think that's what the U.S. Open is going to bring out uh, this year. I think there's so much going on between weather and noise and just just effort and energy. And I think it's going to be the guy or and the girl and the woman who's going to have that autopilot 
at the end of the tournament that's going to be able to get there. I'm not predicting a Fernandez, um, you know, if you remember her run uh, a couple years back um, with Radakanu and, and whatever, like, I don't feel like this is going to be this tournament. I think you're just going to get players at the end of this one. Um, and I think it's going to be exciting. Um, but it's going to be exciting because the level, I think, is going to be very good. Um, and I think the, the final four of both tournaments, both draws, is going to be well-deserved players that are going to be in that position. I think it's going to be well-earned uh, getting there. Always is. Always is. New York, you know, 14 days. I wish they actually made the tournament 15 days. It would be pretty cool to have it on a Sunday too, like starting today, like the French does. I just think, I mean, listen, you get three Sundays in, you know, you get Labor Day weekend, you get the finals weekend, and you get you get today. So anyways, that's that's a different conversation, but I think it would be pretty cool. Um, and it would be, I mean, they're qualifying. They smashed every record last week. So, which is very interesting for me, Parsa, because, you know, Federer's retired. Serena has retired, right? And congratulations to her and her husband as well, too, for having their second child uh, this past week. You know, Venus is almost on the way out. So you have all of these, like, legendary figures. Cher Pope has been retired for a few years. And not really any legends on the women's, in the women's field, except for maybe Venus and a little bit Sviantek. Osaka's been, you know, she's been out this year as well, too. Um, but, like, the crowd's there, you know, and it's, it's crazy. So that's great. I don't know if it's that Cincinnati final that pumped everybody up or... People are just feeling the sport. Anyways, it's great to see, and I think I think it's going to be absolutely slammed these next couple of weeks at the U.S. Open. I mean, good luck for anybody who's trying to get tickets, and if you are, you know, bring your checkbook because it's yeah. going to be it's going to be up there. Um, okay, so with that being said, my friend, let's get right into the draw preview for the women's. Obviously, it's led by Iga Swiatek. Um, for me, Parsa, look, I look through this draw. And it's and it's and it's an interesting one because you have a lot of players who can do damage. We know the, you know that the women's draws can always be, like Von der Russo won, you know, Wimbledon. So a lot of things can happen, right? But it's to me when I'm looking at this draw in the top half, I'm actually not going to go with Sviantek. I like you know the 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 wave that Goff is on right now. I think she's gonna you know do some damage here uh, and make the semifinals. Rabikina for me is is a great player, former Wimbledon, uh, you know, winner last year. She, I mean, she just hits the ball so clean, huge serve, very professional. You never know if she's happy or sad. She's just going, putting her head down. She's not worried about the extracurricular stuff off the court. She's just there to play. And if her shoulder is feeling good, because I know it was bothering her a little bit in Montreal and in Cincy. Um, I think she can do some damage here, and it looks like she's okay because she's, you know, she's been practicing. She hasn't said anything. She looks good. Um, so I'm going to be going with Goff and Rybakina in the top half, and then in the bottom half, I like again what Svitolina has been doing since her return from having her first child, and I think again, very dangerous player, very fit, uh, and she's recovered tremendously well. From, from having a child. I, I mean, she looks fit as a fiddle. So I like her to make the semis as well, too, and keep the mojo going. And then obviously Sabalenka, I've talked about her a lot this podcast. I like what she's doing. I like a Goff-Sabalenka final. And I'm going with actually Goff to win her first 
and maiden Grand Slam, her home Grand Slam. The crowd is going to go nuts, and it's going to be good. So that's what I got. Wow, and wow, wow. My, my dark horse is young Russian player by the name of Mira Andreev, 16-year-old who's captivated you know, the tennis audience now at a couple majors, and she's just got that really stoic, you know, dry humor type of personality. She's really funny in her interviews, and you know, but she's all business on court, very wiry, you know, very explosive. She's like a feather out there, you know, swatting at her forehand. So I think she's going to be doing some good damage here, and, and I like her as my dark horse. So I'll let you take it away with your picks. Wow, 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 Nima, that's what I got for you. Um, yeah, uh, I also am not a big believer in Sviantek, uh here. I do think Coco is going to make the semi. Um, and I think Coco is going to be playing uh, Mukova. Um, you know, Mukova, I've just watched her a few times this summer. I feel like she's she's so composed and put together. And I think that's going to make a difference. But I do think Coco is going to advance to the final in that matchup. Um, in the bottom half, um, you know, it's that similar type thing. I think that it's going to be uh, uh, Pagula. And I think Pagula is going to get there, and uh, I think she's going to play uh, Anz Jabul, even though she hasn't done much. I think Anz is focused on the slams, and I think uh, you know she's bound to get one here. And um, I think she's going to pony up and put it all together. And, I, and I'm going to have Anz facing Coco in the final, and I'm going to take uh, Anz to win her first title. I think uh, Coco's nerves is going to cost her in that particular matchup. Um, Anz has been there before, and I think finally it's it's going to pay off for her, a la Andy Murray. Um, took him, I think it was his fourth try until he uh, he took a title, if I'm not mistaken. Or how many was it? Or was it fourth? Yeah, it was fourth. Four yeah. or five, yeah. Fourth at the U.S. Open or something something to that effect. Um, yeah. And I think uh, this is going to be her time. I think the crowd is going to be split a little bit because I think the one person that endears people worldwide is Anz Jabor. I think, I don't know. I, oh yeah, yeah, she's I, great. She's just great, uh, you know, th and people love her. And after the Netflix stuff, and you know, I think it was even more endearing. Um, and and people root for her and want her to win. Um, and I think she's going to take that energy and and be able to take advantage of a of a nervy short forehands Coco. And I'm not sure Coco's gonna be able to again, activate autopilot and be okay. I think Coco next year, I'm the one who said it. I think at the Australian Open podcast, by the way, I think I said Coco was going to win one of the next four slams. I yeah. do think it's going to be Australian Open 24, um, but I'm not sure she's 100% prepared at this very moment, but she does have the momentum and she does have all the good things going for her. Um, you know, but it's a long two weeks and anything can happen. So, um, I got Jabour winning the uh, the tournament here. Okay, um, moving on now to the to the men's draw. Obviously, headlined by Novak Djokovic and uh, Carlos Alcaraz. Um, Alcaraz got you know he's got a pretty tough draw to be honest with you. I mean his first couple rounds are not bad. Lloyd Harris can give him some problems in round two. Uh, he's a big server, South African. I mean, Dan Evans is pretty crafty. He's going to keep him out there for a bit, but I don't foresee any big problems there. But then as we move forward from there, this, you know, talent Greek sport, he's made three finals this year. You know, if you're a tennis fan, you know who he is. If you're not, then you won't. He's coming in as the 24th seed. Again, talented guy. 
very smooth hitter of the ball. Uh, so it could be some action coming up there. And then obviously once we get to the quarters, you know, you have the likes of maybe Sinner in, in, in Alcaraz's way. Uh, you know, Rabrinka is there, Murray and all of these guys. So it's it's actually going to be also an interesting tournament for me, Parsa, because I don't know if you just saw, but Jack Sock is retiring at the U.S. Open. He's going to pickleball. So he's going to play his last event with John Isner. John Isner is also retiring at the U.S. Open. He's playing singles and doubles. Uh, so they're both done. I heard that Venus Williams is also going to retire, but that's super like, you know, nobody knows about it, but we'll see what happens. Um, Murray, you, you know, maybe he, he might be done. Rarinka, you don't know, right? Like these guys are, all of these players are, you know, they're getting up there now and it's, you know, can't play forever, right? Uh, so we wish them all the best. But I mean, going through this quarter, I can't, like, you got to take Alcrez. I mean, it would be great to see, you know, Sinner Alcrez next Wednesday. That's that's going to be their matchup, probably. Like you said, Sinner's going to have to get through Zarev, who's been playing some good ball. Um, and then you got you got Rublev, you got Hachinov, you got Nicholas Jerry, who's a good player, uh, who's had a good year. Medvedev, Borna Chorich. Something is going on with Medvedev. I don't know what it is. He had an amazing start to the year, made semis of Wimbledon, won a clay court, you know, Masters 1000, made like four or five finals in a row like he's done, you know, previously in his career. But I think he's a bit off right now, which is to me shocking because I had put him right up there heading into, you know, the final major of the year with Alcaraz and Djokovic right up there. And he can still do it because he's got an, an excellent game for hard courts. But I think something's going on which it's not really apparent to the, the general public right so for that reason i'm actually going to be going with rublev to make the semifinals rublev's a guy who again has been on and off this year but he's going to give you the same thing every day he's going to come out there bang forehands hit big serves have a good backhand fit not getting tired he's going to get mad at himself he's a perfectionist he's going to get angry he's going to be happy then he's going to be nice in the interviews going to be the same thing every day but i think he's got enough to make the semis here to face alcaraz and then going into the bottom half we have last year's former finalist rude as well as rune um, we got tfo who's also a semi-finalist last year we got tommy paul who we talked about we got Bublik, David Aquino, who had an injury in Cincy. Hopefully he's better. We got Musetti. We got Taylor Fritz, who lost first round last year to Holt. He's going to want to be doing some, doing better here. We got um, OJ Aliasim, Serindolo, and then we got the man Novak Djokovic. So it's a lot of guys here too. But like I said, it's it's pretty cupcake overall for Djokovic. I got Djokovic in the semis. I like what Tommy Paul's been doing. I think he's fit enough. I think he's stable enough to navigate through everybody except for Djokovic. Uh, then I got obviously Djokovic, uh, Djokovic and Alcaraz final with Djokovic, uh, pardon me, with Alcaraz defending his title and uh, having his third major. Five sets, five hours, 37 minutes. Woof. And I got Ben Shelton as my dark horse. How about you? Yeah, I definitely have a, you know, I'm concerned with Alcaraz's draw, but he's going to work his way through it. Um, definitely have him in the top half. Um, you know, the one thing you didn't mention with Medvedev is I understand he's, he may be going through something or whatever it is. Five sets is very hard to beat him. Like, yeah. you know, it's just torture. Um, so I'm going to have Medvedev there. 
So I'm going to have Alcaraz playing Sinner in a scintillating crazy match. And then and then he's going to get through that possibly. And then he's going to have to go to Medvedev and beat him. And then he's going to go to a final. I'm going to tell you who I have in the, in the, the top half there. Um, I feel like it's going to be you know, something special um, in the top. And I think you're either going to get Paul or Francis Tiafo. And um, I, just because the American, you know, the whole dream, the whole thing. Um, I also think both of those guys are going to be very, very tough in a best of five format. But I'm going to say that Tiafo's got a little bit more. Um, by the way, the guy he's playing first round, Lerner Tien, is, uh, he just won Kalamazoo. Um, I actually watched him play because, uh, you know, had a, a, a former student um, who played for Michigan, and he played and lost to uh, Tien. I watched the entire match. Um, he's a very crafty lefty, um, you know, a lot like a, a Marcelo Rios type of throwback. Um, Where is he from, that guy? He's from SoCal. Oh, okay. Um, and he plays for you. Never heard of him before. So he's like 18, right? He's 18. He was the defending Kalamazoo champion last year. Um, he just knows how to win. He's just a winner. Um yeah. I don't think he's got the firepower yet, um, but someone to keep an eye on, you know, three, four years from now, it could be a, definitely a, a force to be reckoned with. Hopefully he makes those changes and improvements in, in the next three years will be crucial to see what type of number he can get to in terms of ranking. Um, but someone to watch for, someone fun, and could potentially give Francis problems if Francis is feeling confidence issues. If Francis can go out and beat him in straights, I think it would be a big uplift. Uh, I think it's capable and... Um, you know, so I'm going to have him uh, in the semi uh, playing uh, the one and only uh, Novak Djokovic. And um, I think Djokovic is walking into that final against a beat up Alcaraz. And I do yeah. also think it's going to be uh, four or five sets, but I think it's going to be like four and a half. And I think Alcaraz is going to succumb. Um, and I'm going to have Djokovic adding another one into the trophy case uh, for this year. Yeah, I mean, it's. Listen, Djokovic, to me, you know, it's interesting because he's only won three U.S. Opens, which if you if you just look at 23 majors and three of them have only come from in New York, you would say that's not that great for his level. Uh, but, he's, you know, he usually comes in here. He's had such a great year. You know, he had Nadal a couple of times who played amazing and better earlier in his career, who clipped him a few times. Then obviously the COVID stuff happened. He got defaulted that one year, so and Murray, you know, he's had some serious matches. Um, yeah, on that yeah. court. So there've been guys who have been zoning like crazy and peak level, right, against them. So, and then it's very hot in New York, which he doesn't, you know, overall like too much. Um, but I would love to see, you know, an Alcaraz and and Djokovic final, as I'm sure everybody else would. Uh, but I would love to see some great matches leading up to that match. So we'll see how it goes. I think, who, who do you have as your dark horse? You know, dark horses are tough. Um, yeah. The guy I really have my eye on, um, you know, besides, you know, Shelton, who you mentioned already, I, you know, there's there's a few guys that can sort of, make a little bit of noise, but I don't feel like there is going to be a dark horse per se. Um, if I had to pick one and you were, you were going to say, Parsi, you got to pick one, I would take Sebastian Baez just because he's probably the most in-form, unseated guy that we have in the draw. Um, he's a pain a pain in the butt. I, I think that's a bad matchup for Korch in, in that first round. Um, 
but maybe he hasn't had enough time to, you know, Sebastian Baez hasn't had enough time to acclimate to the New York conditions and so on and so forth. Um, you know, and then and then having possibly Kane and Shikori afterward, it could be a little bit tricky. But if he can get through these, I think he could just be a pain in the butt for uh, for Medvedev in round three. So um, let's see how it goes. Perfect. Okay, everyone. With that being said, uh, that's that's it for Parson and I this week. Uh, enjoy all the action from NYC. We will both be live at the tournament throughout. So make sure to follow us on social media uh, to get all the inside you know analysis on that please follow tennis connected throughout the fortnight you can download this podcast on itunes um, as well as android uh, parsa thank you so much for joining us thank you thanks everybody out there for listening parsa and i will be back in january of 2024 to preview the australian open be good everyone enjoy nyc and we'll talk to you soon